Hello, everyone. I know some of you are coming in and getting your lunch. Feel free to just find a seat as you come in, but we're going to get started so we have our full amount of time here. So uh, can you all hear me in the back? Is this vo volume good? I think so. Okay. So we're going to get started. My name is Deb Greenwood. I am on the clinical education team at Dexcom and very happy to be here today with our great speakers to host our, our, our program. Is there a right person for CGM? Myth versus fact. So I'm sure some of you have heard things like this. Um, you know, that person doesn't deserve CGM because they don't take care of themselves, right? Or that person can't use CGM because they're too old, they don't know how to use technology. So what we want to try to do today is try to bust some of these myths and talk about some of the barriers and how we can overcome them and have an opportunity to chat with these uh, great uh, individuals here and, and provide us some, some wisdom. So our goal today is to really empower you to be able to have those answers, to be able to either bust a myth that you hear or support a person uh, around some barriers they might be having in terms of using technology and to leave with some practical tips. So I'm going to let uh, our great speakers introduce themselves so they can tell you about them and where they work. So Dr. Bariolis, why don't you go first? Awesome, thanks. Welcome everybody. I see some familiar faces and new faces. So welcome everybody to Baltimore. So I'm Dr. Nicole Bariolis. I'm a psychologist, a clinical health psychologist actually, and a certified diabetes care and education specialist. I'm in private practice. I do pretty much 100% clinical work um, based in North Texas. So in the Dallas area and just the area north of there as it broaches um, Oklahoma. So I have three offices. I have suburban, urban, and rural. And with that, like I mentioned, I'm 100% insurance-based. I see people with Medicare, Medicaid, HMO plans, you pretty much name it, uh, manage Medicare even. Um, but I don't do just diabetes work. I also see people uh, with depression, anxiety, weight management, smoking sensation, things like that. So thank you. Passing on to Mark, Dr. Heyman. Hi, good afternoon, or good morning. Um, I'm Dr. Mark Heyman. Um, I'm a diabetes psychologist and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And in my work, I work with people with diabetes in a variety of ways. I have a clinical practice where I see patients with diabetes, primarily type one. And then I also have a variety of other services that I offer. Um, I have a podcast called the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I offer digital programs to people with diabetes. And I recently wrote a book called Diabetes Sucks and You Can Handle It. Um, and it's actually available at the CDN booth uh, today if you'd like to go get a copy. Awesome, so thank you. So we're gonna dive right in. So hopefully at the end we'll have some time for some questions. So we're gonna start by really trying to like kind of set, set the field of kind of why we're here, why we're talking about this topic. Because what we, what we have seen and what the literature even tells us is that what healthcare professionals view as barriers are not always what people with diabetes view as barriers. So I'm gonna read a, a few examples and then we're gonna talk about it. So there actually was a study done in 2017 by Tannenbaum, if you've not read it. And I'm gonna read four of the, the pieces that I find really interesting. Um, and then we'll discuss. Okay, so 40, So basically they, they surveyed clinicians and people with diabetes, asked them the same questions. So this is, these are the differences that, that we hear. Okay, so 46% of clinicians thought that people with diabetes don't understand what to do with information from CGM or how to use the features. So 46%. But when they asked people with diabetes, 
less than 5% said that that was what they believe. Okay, then 35% of people with diabetes said they don't like having a, a, a device attached to them, but 64% of healthcare professionals thought that was true, so twice as many healthcare professionals thought that people didn't want technology on their body. 32% of people with diabetes said they would be nervous to rely on technology. I'm oh, sorry, 32, 32% of clinicians thought that people with diabetes would be nervous to let technology, you know, trust technology. But only 17% of people with diabetes thought that was true. And then finally, a quarter of the respondents, so 24%, thought people with diabetes don't want more information about their diabetes. And guess how many people with diabetes said that? 2%, <laughs> right? So. This is, you know, this is what's happening, and while there's a 2017 data, there's a 2021 paper, but really this is still like what's happening. So why do you think, Dr. Heyman, that there's this, mis this misconception? Because people who don't like it are the ones who are going to their providers and telling them they don't like it. They're the outliers. And so just like my practice, I see people who are having challenges. The, 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 the people who are approaching their, their healthcare providers, their, their endocrinologist or their primary care doctor or their diabetes educator, they're the ones who are pushing back. They're the outliers and they're, they're the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. While people who are, having, who are doing okay with CGM technology and other type of technology, they're not talking. They're just going along and managing the diabetes fairly well. Yeah, because diabetes doesn't become their focus when they're managing well. So it's not always salient to them to talk about it. So I know a lot of you see, you know, healthcare professions often kind of freak out with hypo and hyper events, right? If you're below 80, oh my gosh, you've got to have this dextrose and you've got to have these glucose tabs right now. Or if you're 400, well, you've got to be in the hospital. You've got to have IV fluids right now. So again, it's that salience in what they see. I think you've mentioned the confirmation bias Absolutely. too. So we, we see what we want to see, right? Remember your old social psychology classes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure that if you visited either one, of, either Dr. Barrios or my, my clinics, you would think that everyone with diabetes is having challenges. And while many people are, I don't want, I don't want to discount the fact that diabetes is challenging, we're seeing the people, and you, you're seeing the people who are having the biggest challenges, while there are a lot of people out there who are doing okay and really using, the, using their technology and uh, to their benefit without challenges. Yeah, because they're not talking about the successes all the time. We <laughs> only talk about more challenges. That's what's get posted. Oh my gosh, I'm here, now I'm here, what do I do? Because I was this, I didn't do this. Well, that's what we see all the time, so we just assume that's what's going on in the real clinical sample. Yeah, and I think that leads to our next question where, and I, I'm guessing this isn't new to any of you as well, that clinicians can be gatekeepers, right? And they will make their own assumptions and will not offer technology to people because they think maybe, again, they don't deserve it. Yeah. Or, you know, we hear those things a lot. So, you know, how would you talk to either an HCP that kind of has this thinking or a person with diabetes that maybe wants the technology and their clinician is saying, no, your A1C is too high, whatever, whatever excuse. You know, can you yeah. share some of that? Yeah, this is the same conversation we've been having for years about insulin pumps. And your doctor's saying that patients don't deserve insulin pumps until they can prove to me they can manage diabetes. And that, 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 that rubs me the wrong way, and I'm sure that rubs many of you the wrong way. You know, I, had a, I was talking to a doctor recently about a patient with type 2 diabetes that he was seeing whose A1C was over 8%. And the doctor said that the patient, um, he felt that the patient would not benefit from CGM because he couldn't even do the basics. And I pushed back and I said, you know what? 
I would encourage you to give him a try, let him give, give it a try. And he did. And what he saw was that the patient actually did so much better, not only because he had access to the data, but he could see how his behavior was impacting his sugars. So he was... He was, um, you know, he would eat a high carb meal and see his glucose go through the roof, and he would that he that, that would give him pause. When before he was a little bit clueless as to what was going on. And so using using technology and particularly CGM empowered this patient. And the doctor's attitude at the beginning was very disempowering. And I really encourage that doctor and as well as all of you to think about how can we empower our patients to the great the best degree possible and allowing them to use technology and getting, take, reframing that thought about they don't deserve technology, they can't use it, is, is really the best way of doing that. I think empowerment is really that key word. Because a lot of us, again, that assumption that people are going to just get overwhelmed with all that information. And that's not necessarily always the case. You know, or we assume that because they may have low health literacy or, or low numeracy, they, they wouldn't be able to use the data effectively and make changes. Um, but that's kind of what our role is as a DCES, right? That, that's what our bread and butter is. It's about behavior change. It's breaking things down for them. You know, they may have this clarity report and get overwhelmed, because it can be for some, right? But, you know, circling a box and saying, okay, well, we see this. This seems to be a trend. What can we do here with this right now? But you, I think it's important, you probably see this too, where you've got to work within their, that person's framework, right? Because if they're not ready to make change, we can try to encourage it, but we want them to be on the same page as us, right? And kind of work within their real house and with what their environment allows them to do, what changes they can make. You know, if they're working in a, in a factory and they only get scheduled breaks, well, what can we do to try to optimize diabetes care within that type of lifestyle? Yeah, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but I live with type 1 diabetes. And one of my favorite things about Clarity is every Sunday I get a, I get a, a push notification telling me my change from last week to this week. And for me, that, I mean, for me and also for my patients, that, that gamification uh -huh. and that, that reg regular feedback is extremely helpful, especially for folks who have a time and range in the lower levels. To say, wow, I made 5% progress between this week and last week, for them that's powerful and that, that's motivating, um, as opposed to seeing a BGM reading every day or every two days or once a week or however often they were, were checking before. Well, it's interesting you say that because at Dexcom, we have a, a data lake, right? So they can do a lot of data analysis. And what we've seen is that people that use those clarity features at least four times a month, so that's just once a week, right, those push notifications, they actually have up to 15% more time and range just by simply looking at their data, right? It's a way to do that retrospect. I love it. I think it's Dr. Badalini who talks about thinking slow and fast. And so like your G6 app, where you're looking at the data, you're thinking in the moment, what do I do right now, thinking fast, but then those retrospective pieces from Clarity allows you to think slow. Like, yeah. okay, now what, what patterns do I see? What can I do differently? Yeah. And, uh, and just that simply, simple weekly push makes a difference. Well, and meeting people where they are, because I don't, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't look at my own Clarity report very often, but I definitely look at those push notifications. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they're easy, but also they're just, they're bite-sized and they give me really good information about my own management. And I ask people that I see in my practice to look at them as well, and I, we celebrate those small wins. Up 3% this week, that's amazing. And to see that, to have that progress be recognized mm -hmm. is empowering. It is. Yeah. And I do it, I have type 1 too, and I actually look at it a little bit less. I actually look at it and compare quarter, quarters. 
to see how I'm doing January through March versus maybe the summer months or later on in the fall. And that helps me say, okay, well, what was different? What was going on that I can make change? Well, and I imagine that really helps you work with your clients, the fact that you live with diabetes and you, you're, not, you're walking the walk and you're, you're, you know the challenges. You know yeah. the challenges. Yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. No. To, to, to quote somebody who wrote it recently, diabetes sucks. <laughs> and you can read about it. You can read about it in a book. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned earlier, Nicole, Dr. Barry Elvis, um, is um, like health literacy and diversity. And so I just wanted to pull up, just in case people haven't known, have you, are you familiar with the mobile study that was published last year? Anybody? Yeah, I hope so. If not, please read it. But what I think is really important, so this study randomized people to Dexcom G6 or BGM. Um, and, and of course the CGM group, you know, improved outcomes. However, it, most studies, you know, typical 80% are white, educated, whatever. So this was 50% high school education or less, 50% people of color, 50% on public insurance. It was a very diverse group of people. So type two, basal insulin only, right? No, no prandial insulin. And they improved their CG, they improved their A1C, they improved outcomes. And so we, we see that it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, anybody can benefit. And I think what's really interesting about this study is that when they looked at the two groups, even though the people wearing CGM improved, again, this is basal insulin, no prandial, there was no difference in the medication changes that were made between the two groups. So the authors obviously made this assumption, and there's actually a commentary on JAMA, uh, by Dr. Monica Peake, that they had to be using it on their own to change their behavior, right? Because the medications weren't different. And so I think this is such a great study to really move the needle in terms of access and, and who can benefit and use CGM. So kind of the data she just described is kind of very much what I see day to day in, in an insurance-based practice, like I mentioned with the Medicare, Medicaid, things like managed Medicaid plans. But, you know, I think, what was it, January of... 20 when the commercial came out during the um, oh the Super Bowl Super Bowl is it wasn't that January of 20 uh, yeah. 21 21 okay <laughs> so that year and a half I think having that exposure has really allowed people who maybe not they not be coming to the clinic every three months or every four months or maybe not every six months but they see these and they identify with them and then they tell their friend they tell their aunt they tell the person that cuts their hair and I think all that information can be spread so quickly so you can imagine for us seeing people in the office for DCESs you can be that TV commercial let them know of their options you know I always and I don't think they've publish this anymore, but back when um, Diabetes Forecast, I think it was every January, they had their kind of technology um, uh, issue. Yeah. I would keep that on my shelf every year and pull that sucker out. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you can do this, you can do this. If you've got some issues with, with um, sight or vision or, or hearing, here's some other options for you. So again, being kind of that TV commercial for our people we work with and not making these assumptions based on one, two, and three. Because I think we very much have to be aware of our own biases. It's not just physicians, but we as a healthcare professionals have a lot of biases too that we need to constantly keep in check. Yeah, it's, it's important to think about our assumptions about what people want, what resources yeah. they have, and and also how they're going to use CGM. Because there's, I mean, there's no right, there's no one right way to use CGM. For some of us, we use it every day. For some people, they use it one week a month. 
and um, to, to and because that's that, again that's a way of empowerment of you know to see where I am right now and to be able to see how, how I can make changes. But we want to meet people where they are in their health journey, and that's really important as as part of my job is listening to them, really not making assumptions about them, and guiding them in the best way possible, and then letting them make their own choice. Because if we don't offer them the choice, then the choice is made for them by us by not even giving them an option. Yeah, even more specifically, you may have an individual who gets food stamps or reduced lunch at school. That doesn't mean that CGM may not be an option for them because they may look at their funds and re-stratify um, their funds or look for provider assistance and really grasp and use that technology really, really well. Right? All of us, it doesn't matter what salary we make, we could probably do better in how we manage money. So we have to think about the people in front of us, that too. And again, that assumption. We don't want to necessarily go there when that's not true. Give them the options. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in my experience, I see some patients who have Medi-Cal, which is Medi yeah. Medicaid in California, and there's an assumption that, oh, my insurance won't pay for that. And actually, in my experience, Medi-Cal actually covers um, CGM and pumps 100%. And so, they, so patients have assumptions about what they can yeah. afford and what's covered as well. And I think just really working with them to ask the questions to their, to their insurance company and to work with them to empower them to see that it, what's possible um, for, for them personally, but also with the resources they have available to them um, from insurance and from their... Um, yeah, because that's not so much a luxury anymore. <laughs> right. It's really become the standards of care. So we've got to approach that in our offices in that way. Yeah. Yeah, you know... That's interesting you say that because what I've seen recently is that, especially in pediatrics with type 1, like we can't even do research in that population because clinicians are like, I'm not going to randomize a person to BGM because I put all my kids on CGM. Like that's not, mm -hmm. it's not ethical, right? We've, we've reached that point with type 1 pediatrics now if we need to like keep going up the ladder. But um, I think. Interestingly, a po I think a positive that we came out of COVID-19 is that it really raised the awareness of disparities, and especially in diabetes technology. And I feel like so many conferences, right, we've been talking about this and how there is such a, uh, especially you know, people of color, low SES, and you talked about like the people with Medicaid can get you know coverage, and a lot of states now do have coverage, and. Um, it's, it's just helping us to see our own biases, right, and helping us to, to think about that. Um, I, I, I don't, and we kind of talked about this. I don't know if you have anything else to add in that, in that realm around uh, kind of, you know, different populations. I just, you know, I often tell folks that we're going to talk about a lot of different things out there. We just got to find something that sticks, right? Because I don't know as a clinician what's going to stick for you because it's going to vary based on who's in front of me. Um, but you need to be respectful of where they're at, what they're willing to do at that moment. And I think good clinicians can kind of, you know, get some success with some things and then build upon that and build upon that and build upon that. But it doesn't mean you're going to have a change in A1C of 2% within six months. It's, it may be slow and steady, but you know what? That's okay. Because they're going to feel better about it. They're going to see that change. You're going to help them see that change. And then they're going to strive for even higher you know, more stringent A1Cs, more time in range, because they're going to get excited about it, not feel like it's, oh, here I am at the doctor again, they're going to tell me how bad I am, here because of all my numbers. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out, as, as we're talking about diversity, is if you don't know, very recently, the Dexcom G6 app is now available in Spanish. So we're very excited about that. So sometimes maybe a provider didn't want to prescribe CGM if it was a Spanish-speaking person. Maybe they didn't feel like they could use the app. So that will help 
you know, we're really excited about that to have that. But I want to add something if I could. Yeah, um, sure. So being in Texas, of course, I have a lot of people English second language. And I think a lot of times people make a lot of assumptions that just because they're not native English speakers or fluent in English, that they're not going to use apps. And I don't mm. think that's true. So again, I don't, we can't keep making these assumptions because we can very much teach, you know, what that number means, arrows. It doesn't have, it can be as, kind of quote-unquote nonverbal as, as we can make it be, just simplify it. I would say don't refrain from using the app just because you assume they don't have a good grasp of the language. And the same thing for, <laughs> and the same thing for age. Yes. I, you know, I, you know, you know people, people believe that people who are above 70 won't use apps. Well, my mom's above 70 and trust me, she uses apps all the time. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think that it's, it's even more, more um, salient for people with type 1 who have had diabetes for a long time, who remember you know, back in the day when there were no BGMs at all. Having a CGM is, is a miracle for them, and they are all over using that. Yeah, yeah, great. All right, so let's shift our focus a little bit, and let's kind of talk now more about like, concerns that people with diabetes might have and maybe some of, some of their barriers. When we were talking and planning for this, we talked about there being kind of internal perceptions and external perceptions people with diabetes might have, right? So internally is, you know, how do they feel about living with diabetes? And externally, maybe like what perceptions do they feel like other people will make about them because they live with diabetes? And maybe that's where some like stigma and bias comes in. So when we were talking, Dr. Varelos, you said that your your highest referral rate, right, is for people, young adults or teens that don't want to wear technology. So love to share with this audience like how you manage that and how you talk through that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say between about age twelve to twenty-five. Um, that's kind of the number one referral question I get is they don't want to wear devices because prior to that age their parents would kind of stick those things on and say you're doing it <laughs> and the, the seven-year-old would say okay mom and dad okay we'll do it but then they get older they get more rebellious but think about what goes on in that age group peers become their number one right they want to blend in so I would ask I said well what's the worst thing that could happen if someone sees your device and usually they kind of look and think and they may say, well, someone could ask me about it, ask me what it is. And I say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, I think a lot of times people think that the world is about them. They only see them. And I say, you know, it's not always about you. <laughs> people aren't always focused on you and what you're doing every day. And the same thing that kind of goes with alarms. I think all of us in here are aware of alarms because we hear it you know we know what those alarm means but I think if you're out at the airport or you're at the mall somewhere we don't know we just think it's somebody's phone um, so you've got to ask you know what's the worst thing that could happen try to find those instances where that person um, contradicts themselves right because that's very powerful that's really the core of motivational interviewing which I know many of you have been trained on so pull some of those skills out of the hat and they can be very powerful very very quickly but again don't be upset if you know you see them a month later and they're still not wearing the device because they're thinking about it right you're trying to move the bar for them so that they eventually will use it and use it successfully yeah one thing my, one thing I always ask patients is how much time are you thinking? How much time are you spending thinking about this stuff? Yeah. And the reality is, is they end up spending a lot of time thinking about it. When if they just put the device on and they and they try it out, they realize that they don't think about it much at all. 
Um, I tell a story in my book about this woman that I worked with who would want to go to the pool at her apartment complex. And she would spend, like, when she put her devices on uh, during the week, she would have to think really hard about what her plans were for a couple days from now at the pool and where she would put her device so that she made sure that no one would see the device at the pool. Mm -hmm. And talk about a lot of cognitive load. I mean, it overwhelmed her. And we, and we got her to the point where she was able to just put the device on and go. And she's like, wow, I had to take a time at the pool. I'm like, no wonder. <laughs> you, did, you, you weren't thinking about it so much. And so you know, getting people to try things and experiment and find out what happens. If they, if they do it and find out it doesn't work for them, then you know, maybe, maybe it's not the best option for them. But if they, if they try and they find out that it wasn't, the reality wasn't as, wor it wasn't as bad as she, they thought it would be, which is often, almost always the case actually with, with devices, then you've empowered them to make a choice that they didn't think they had before. And I will even tell people like in those situations, what would I say in these sessions with you if I was in that situation at your apartment helping you get ready to go to the pool? What would you be hearing from me? Think about my voice, visualize it. And sometimes that can really help them continue to make some of these decisions because it's like they've got you always to think about in some of the lessons they have learned in session. Yeah, it reminds me, I was on vacation a couple years ago. I'm in Mexico at a pool, at a resort that had a pool. And at the pool, there happened to be three people other than myself who had diabetes. And I knew that because they had devices right. on their body. And, and I looked around and, I, and they were having a good time. And I looked at everybody else at the pool and no one noticed them. <laughs> except, except, for, pointing and except for me because I noticed these types yeah, of things. Yeah. And I tell this story to my patients because it's, it's always shocking to them that, that no one actually noticed, or at least no one was pointing and laughing, or no, no one was doing that when these people were at the pool, you know, ha you know showing their devices off yeah. with, uh, well, they weren't showing them off, but they were well, we're, sure. we're, we're wearing them without, mm -hmm. without thought. Yeah. Well, and I hope things like commercials, yes. right? Yeah. I think there's yeah. a lot more out there now, so I think people are more knowledgeable. Oh, you, they're wearing that thing that, does something for their diabetes. And, and two, you've got to remember, or help these people remember that 99% of the time, things are going to go well with their devices. Uh, where I'm at in North Texas, cheer is really popular. Well, if any of you are any cheer parents, you know the makeup and the costumes and the routines. Once in a while, devices do come off for a lot of reasons, but that's usually only a smidgen of the time. What about the 99% of the competitions where things were fine? Again, you've got to help them remember what that you were okay, I think it was worked out 99% of the time. So it's not as bad as they always portray. And, and we were talking also, Dr. Heyman, that you talk a lot with your clients around, they get embarrassed by like the alerts and the alarm going off in public. I, I, I like to tell this story, you, you all might know Amy Tendridge, Diabetes Mine. She was just about standing at the podium, going to you know, welcome everyone to attend this conference and her Dexcom urgent low alarm goes off. And if you know, that's the one you can't turn off. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like trying to, you know, acknowledging it. I think she had a Coke and she's continuing to talk. Urgent low goes off. And so she's just like, <laughs> me. we're at a diabetes conference. This is diabetes. Yeah. Um, so how do you talk to your patients about it? Well, so I mean, and I, I'm all about find, you know, managing issues as they come up and finding ways both psychologically but also logistically to handle these things. So I help people to think about, okay, if I'm in class, is it best to turn my alarms off or my alerts off? Um, except for the urgent low, which can't be turned right. off, but you know, it, is it best to turn those off? It, should I change my settings so that they're, they're, I mean, it's a higher range before they do that? And really giving them the option to be able to know that they, they can use their technology and it's not a one-size-fits-all, that they can really, they can modify it to, to, to do um, different things uh, to help them. 
Also, I encourage people to set expectations with their people, people around them at work or at school or in their family about what it means when alarms go off. I, I, I actually recently did this, did this with my mother-in-law, um, who every time my, my alarm or my alert goes off, she, she really gets very, are you okay? And I had to, let, I had to educate her that you know, when my alert goes off, it's actually a good thing. It helps me to know where I'm at. And I'll let you know if something, if something is an issue. But until then, like, let's just let the, let, the alarm, or, sorry, let the alert go and not worry about it. And, she was, and she, I gave her some education about what they meant and why they're happening. And for her, that was, it, it helped her to support me better by keeping her mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's pivot a little bit kind of on that and let's talk a little bit about diabetes data, right? Because it's very similar that there's internal and external perceptions, right? Maybe looking at data can be a little overwhelming sometimes or just kind of like a constant reminder sure. of diabetes. But then there's that external judgment that HCPs put on a person and so there's that Oh, I don't want to share my data. I don't right. want to talk about right. my data. I don't, even, I, want to, I don't even want to go to my appointment sometimes, right, because of that. So how is there a positive way that you talk around, like, um, data with your patients? I'm glad you brought that up because I see a lot of people, especially in weight management, mm -hmm. if they haven't lost, they'll cancel appointments mm -hmm. because they're afraid that that provider is going to make fun of them, ridicule them say they're not doing a good job. So this very much applies in diabetes too, especially if they know that their A1C has crept up mm -hmm. when they've actually been told, oh, well, you need to bring that down. Um, but as far as managing kind of relationships with alarms, I can talk about the rules of the road. Remember all of you who had to take driving, you know, the book, the test, or you had to take the rules of the road course? Talk about that with your partner or your friend group or your, 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 your cubicle buddy. So, you know, when do you really need help and when don't you? You know, I constantly adjust alarms on follow. I think I only have the urgent low set on the one person that follows me. Um, and he doesn't respond to it unless it goes off for, I think, more than an hour. But it's important, I think, to have those conversations very early on with as many people as you feel comfortable with because it's going to be very different because that other person, by, like your mother-in-law, think she's helping you, right? Yeah. But she doesn't know that she's really not helping you because she thinks she is. So having that conversation can really help um, the whole team, the whole uh, friend group and family group help you manage your diabetes. Yeah, so this is what you have on your table yeah. or your seats. Um, this document that we have here came about, I don't know if Dr. Nancy Allen's in the room or not, but some research that she did with actually older adults and care partners, most of whom were spouses. And they learned about, so older adults were using share and follow, and they, they learned through the qualitative study how is the best way for partners to collaborate around diabetes data. So this is a worksheet that you can kind of share and you know, having a discussion with a, a person and their follower and it will walk through, okay, let, let's see what works for you. Like when do you want me to follow? Do you only want me to do urgent low? Yeah. When, when do you want me to call? Do you want me to text? How do you want me to engage? And um, it's a, I think it's a really great way to have a discussion on what Dr. Allen learned is that the care partners developed a deeper understanding of diabetes and even said they tended to be less critical after like one person said was I realized I was a nag <laughs> and now that we did this together I feel like I'm actually being helpful yeah. and so I think that's a huge thing around data and it's very helpful too for your 
type ones going off to college because it's usually the parents that are the most anxious because they want to come knocking on the door at 2 a.m. when they can't get a hold of you know Jane and, and John and that's obviously not what that 19 year old budding adult wants so having this conversation even doing it in your session you may be thinking well I don't want to waste my time with doing a form that could actually be the most benefit you could be doing for that person with diabetes one of my biggest tips for parents of teenagers is in set, when, when they're, if they're following yes. their, their child, instead of sending a, them a text saying, your blood sugar's high or your blood sugar's low and, and you'll fix it, which is very kind of confrontational, I said send an emoji like balloons <laughs> or, or, or a clown, Some, something happy that's a signal to them that you know, you, something you need, to, you need to take care of, but it's not this confrontational, aggressive, you know, take care of it now. And I've actually found it to be a really effective tool that, that parents can use. It's a great idea. So we're going to try to wrap up here so we have some time for questions. So our mission at Dexcom is empowering people to take control of their diabetes. So our goal today with you was to empower you to be able to help you help your patients. Ooh, sorry. Help your patients you know, that want access to CGM and diabetes devices to, to help bridge that gap, how, how, bust some of those myths, look at those barriers. So I'd like each of you to give sure. kind of what's your key takeaway um, for the audience. Yeah. So diabetes care and education specialists are really advocates for the people we work with. Um, we're lucky we can spend quite a bit more time with these individuals than a, your standard prescribing provider with that you know, eight minute window that they have. But talk about, you know, at it, it, the water cooler, at the lunches, talk about these successes so that the other healthcare professional realize that yes, there are people with diabetes living well. I mean, thriving, that's kind of been a buzzword I think I've seen in the past couple of years, that it does happen. It's not all these stories about tragedies and things that could or you know, couldn't be. There are positive things, but talk. This, with a story going on in one office could maybe go on to in another <clears throat> office. And you can imagine it could just spread and spread and spread. And that's where you start to see that impact on more and more levels. Yeah, and I want to just, just encourage you to think about the word empowerment and how CGM and other diabetes technology can empower your patients to take the best care of themselves and to have the information that they need to, um, to, to really thrive with diabetes. Yeah. I, th I think that's a, a great word. Also, I, I want to encourage you in your, in your practice who have patients who are giving you pushback to encourage them to test their assumptions. To see, to just if you, to be a scientist and to you know, try things out and see what happens. Be because if you, if you don't test your assumptions, then you're not, never going to be able to disprove them. Because it, then you're stuck in your assumptions. But if you say, "I'm worried this is going to happen, but I'm going to try it out, and if it happens, then I'm going to you know make a decision. Or if it doesn't happen, then now I have lots of lots of information to work with. That's going to help empower your patients to have all of the options available to them and to make the best decision for them for their health." Yeah. Yeah, and two, utilize you know, social media and peer support communities. Because we've come so far, I think, in online communities that it's not just the, the gold stars out there showing their graphs. Yeah. Not the 100 Club that they used to talk about, I don't know, <laughs> seven, eight years ago, right? Remember? Yeah. Uh -huh. So you're seeing people show graphs that kind of go like the roller coaster mm -hmm. because that does happen. But that, that also can be empowering because that person, well, it's not just me. I thought it was me that I was just doing something wrong. But then they see these other people going through some of the same struggles. That can also be very empowering. And yeah. we can show that, these resources, to the people that we work with. Yeah, and, the, and for those of you who live with diabetes, uh, I'll certainly tell you that I do this in my work, and I encourage you to do it in your work if you feel comfortable, is show your graphs. Yes. Uh, and, and show them that, you know, I work in this field. I do this every single day. 
and mine are by no means flat. <laughs>